All right. Welcome back to the listener's commentary on Paul's letter to his colleague and friend in ministry, Titus. In this recording, we're going to get started with our study of this letter by looking at Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And this is the introduction and greeting to the letter. And yet there's quite a bit of stuff in here that really sets up a number of the themes of the letter. And so in the ancient world, at least the ancient Greco-Roman world, a letter typically began with the sender, then the recipient, and then some sort of greetings. And so, you know, John to Matt, greetings. That was the standard way letters in the ancient world began. And New Testament letters follow the same sort of pattern, but typically New Testament letters also expand that a plan, that order for beginning a letter. And oftentimes when they expand it, they do so in a manner that forecasts, if you will, some of the key themes of the letter itself. And that's what happens here in the letter to Titus. And so we have four whole verses of introduction and greeting because Paul amplifies his introduction, particularly reflecting on himself and his commission to Uh, introduce some of the key themes that are going to show up in this letter and some of the key things already from the outset that he wants to highlight for Titus to carry out there on the island of Crete. So let's jump into Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And it begins with, as the order of a letter should in the ancient world, with a sender. And the sender is Paul. So the letter begins simply by saying, Paul. And at the time of writing Titus, even though we don't know exactly when Titus was written, so we're playing a little bit with rough numbers, but the general consensus is it was written sometime in the mid-60s. And so at the time of writing this letter, Paul had been serving Jesus for roughly 30 years um, and had been carrying out his ministry for about that long. Now, uh, Titus is written before 2 Timothy. And thus, while in the New Testament, it's one of the last letters of Paul in the chronology of his life, it's not quite the last. Second Timothy is the last. And we would assume Titus was written around the same time as First Timothy, 63, 64, somewhere in there. And Paul has been faithfully serving Jesus for about 30 years. And he describes himself here in verse one like this. He says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And those two self-descriptions, bondservant and apostle, uh, are almost like opposite descriptions. One, bondservant, speaks of duty and low status. The other, apostle, speaks of authority and high status. And that's fascinating, but it really does describe Paul's unique position and how Paul thought of himself. And so he describes himself as a bondservant of God. And the word translated bondservant in Greek is doulos, literally slave. And so Paul describes himself as a slave of God. That is, he's under God's authority and he's obligated to follow God's commands or God's orders. And this is a key way Paul thought of himself. He was God's servant, God's slave. He was duty-bound to do what God called him and asked him to do. But the other self-description here is an apostle of Jesus Christ. And the word apostle refers to an official representative of someone. 
typically carrying the very status and the very authority of the one the person represented. And so Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. That is Jesus the Messiah. That is Jesus the one who's anointed as king over all nations and all powers. And he is commissioned by King Jesus and sent by him and thus carries his authority. So he's a slave, and that speaks of lower status. But he's also an apostle, and that speaks of higher status. And it's this sort of complex self-understanding that really captures Paul's own self-description. Now, typically, we would get the recipient to whom the letter is written. But before Paul goes there in this particular letter, we get a uh, really Paul's reflections on his own role, his own commission as bondservant of God and apostle of King Jesus. We get some reflections on that. And those reflections show up in terms relevant to the aim and purpose of the letter of Titus. And this is where Paul forecasts some of those key themes of the letter. So, Paul is God's slave and King Jesus' apostle. To what end? For what purpose? Here's what he says. He says, For the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. And so he is God's slave, King Jesus' apostle, for the faith and the knowledge, which is according to godliness. That word translated for at the beginning of this uh, this clause is literally kata in Greek, which most precisely means according to. And yet it was a flexible word uh, that could have kind of different nuances depending on the context. And sometimes this word has uh, the sense of like almost the goal or the aim. It's sort of like with a view to. And that seems to be its sense here. So Paul is a slave and an apostle uh, with a view to the faith of those chosen of God and with a view to the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. That's the sense of that word here in this sentence. So that's what his calling and his commission aims at. Uh, It aims at the faith of God's chosen ones or the faithfulness. The word faith means both faith and faithfulness. It has that sense of both not just believing, but also loyalty and trust, faithfulness. And so it is the faith and faithfulness of God's chosen ones. That is God's chosen people. It's the elect. This designation for God's people was common to Paul because it was used in the Old Testament as a way to refer to Israel as God's chosen people. And so Paul's ministry is for bringing people into uh, the family of God, into the chosen people of God by virtue of faith. Paul's ministry also aims at imparting the knowledge of the truth. Um, God's people have come to know the truth and they need to grow in that knowledge. And so Paul's ministry is calling and commission aims at that. And this knowledge of the truth, Paul says, is according to godliness. And that word according to is our word kata again. And it probably actually has the same sense that it did a moment ago. And that sense is with a view to. That is, the knowledge of the truth is with a view to godliness. It aims at godliness. So it's not aiming at just correct information. You don't want people to learn the truth just for knowing the truth's sake. Paul wants people to know the truth so that they can live godly lives. And that's going to be really important 
for the letter as a whole. That's going to be a major theme. Godliness will show up over and over again in this letter. So, Paul's ministry aims to bring people into faith and faithfulness to Jesus, and then from there lead them into a knowledge of the truth which will lead them to live a godly kind of life. And Paul's going to call Titus to pursue that very same aim there on the island of Crete in the ministry he's carrying out when Paul's writing this letter to him. Now, Paul's reflections, however, aren't done. And so he's going to continue his reflections after mentioning uh, this particular part of his calling and commission. And he says this, he says in verse two, in the hope of eternal life. And that preposition in is literally uh, epi in Greek, which means on or upon. And that's its literal sense, but it, again, it's very flexible, and this is typical of Greek pronouns. And so what sense does the preposition epi have here? Well, it could be sort of like the basis, like uh, on the basis of hope in eternal life. That is, the faith and the knowledge of the truth rest on the hope of eternal life. Or it actually could be a little more sequential, as in the ultimate thing that faith and knowledge of the truth are looking towards or heading towards. And grammatically, both are possible. And when you read the commentaries, um, the commentaries are actually kind of divided on which one it is. Uh, it seems to me that since Paul is sort of foreshadowing some of the things he's going to develop in the letter, that maybe we could get some clarity if we look into the letter and see where Paul talks about hope in the letter. And when we do that, um, we actually see this at the end of chapter 2. Let me read you a couple verses at the end of chapter 2. I think it kind of tips us off on what Paul means here in the introduction and greeting by saying the hope of eternal life. So, um, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13 says this. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and in a godly manner in the present age. Notice, that's the very same themes we're talking about here when Paul is sort of forecasting this in his introduction and greeting. And then he says this in verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. And so there in chapter 2, Paul talks about godly living while looking for the hope. And that's most likely then what Paul intends here in verses 1 and 2 of his introduction and greeting. And so it's probably best to read this phrase as sequential. Um, that is, the faith... And the knowledge of the truth ultimately look towards and lead to hope that God has provided for his people. And when we hear the word hope here in chapter 1, verse 2, we have to remember that the biblical word hope is a little bit stronger than the English word hope. In English, we can say, man, I sure hope that happens. And we sort of mean a wish. But the biblical word doesn't really have that sense. It's more like a confident expectation. Uh, that's the idea of this word hope. And so Paul is saying that the faith that he is commissioned to lead people into and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness that he's commissioned to lead people into, those actually ultimately lead towards and look towards this confident expectation, this hope of eternal life. Then Paul goes on to say that we can actually have this confident expectation because it rests squarely on the promise of God. Look at the end of verse 2. He says, um, the hope of eternal life, which God, 
who cannot lie promised long ago. Note that. Like, it rests squarely on God's promise, and thus it rests on God's character. And God is a person who simply cannot lie. God is so full of truth that truth is simply what he does and what he says. He cannot lie. And thus, if God promises something, it is definitely going to happen because it's impossible for God to lie. And so the hope of eternal life rests on God's promise and on God's character, and thus it is certain. And so uh, we have this hope of eternal life resting on God's promise and his character, a promise that God made long ago, but verse 3 says, at the proper time, revealed his word in the proclamation which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. Remember, Paul is reflecting on his commission and his calling, and so you hear that here in the way he expresses that, that uh, this hope of eternal life uh, that God promised long ago, but it's now been revealed at the proper time, and it's been revealed specifically through the proclamation that Paul himself was entrusted with and that he's been proclaiming all around the Mediterranean world. And this brings us back full circle to Paul's commission as a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus the King. And by proclaiming Jesus and the gospel and the knowledge of the truth, Paul is making known the fulfillment of God's ancient promise of hope for eternal life and that has now come to light through the gospel which he preaches. And notice how verse 3 ends. It ends by Paul saying, which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. Paul was given this calling and this commission, this ministry task, according to God's command. He, it was a sacred trust. And so even though he views himself as God's slave, he knows that he's been uh, given this high calling, and this high task, according to God's sacred trust. All right, so all of that's Paul's bit, the cinder portion of the introduction and greetings. It's Paul with all this reflection that kind of points towards some of the major themes that Paul is going to uh, call Titus to really carry out on the island of Crete. So now he's ready for the recipient, which is Titus himself. So verse 4 says, to Titus, Paul, you know, take out all that reflection to Titus. Titus is the recipient, and Titus is a longtime traveling companion and ministry partner of Paul. In fact, he's actually with Paul at the Jerusalem conference right after the first missionary journey. That's before Timothy joined Paul's team. That's before Luke joined Paul's team. And you can learn more about that, about Titus and his long history with Paul in the backstory to this letter. So this letter is addressed to Titus, and Paul describes Titus as my true son in a common faith. This is a term of endearment from Paul to Titus, uh, but it's spoken of here because this letter will be read to the Christians in Crete, and so it's a term of endearment uh, expressing Paul's affection and uh, commitment to and love for Titus himself, but it's also for the Cretans who are going to listen to this letter, and for them, this speaks really of Titus's credentials. Uh, Titus is someone that they need to listen to because he's actually carrying out Paul's ministry there on the island of Crete, and Paul is an apostle of King Jesus. And so Titus is a true son for a shared or a common faith. And then at that point, you get the greetings in the letter. And so Paul, to Titus, grace 
and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Now, the standard greeting in a uh, Greek letter was Chirine. Uh, greetings, right? So it would be, you know, Alexamenos to uh, Titus, uh, Chirine, greetings. But in this case, we don't have Chirine, we get Charis. They're actually from the same root and they sound similar. Chirine, Charis. Charis is the Greek word for grace. And so there we get grace. And the common Hebrew greeting was Shalom, peace. And so you get uh, charis and peace, grace and peace. And while this stands in the place of the greeting, it also becomes sort of like a prayer or a well-wish for Titus and all those who are going to listen to this letter. Uh, that is, may grace and peace be yours. That's the sense. And so it sort of becomes this prayer or well-wish. And the source of this grace and peace is God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. And one of the things to notice, this is so simple, and it's so obvious, but it's so easy to overlook, and it's this, that God and Jesus are spoken of together as the source of grace and peace. And we, as followers of Jesus, are used to this. But this, in effect, puts a human being, Jesus, on par with God the Father, and no good Jew like the Apostle Paul could have done that without believing Jesus was divine. And so these simple, seemingly kind of passing comments indicate Paul's belief about Jesus without arguing for it. It just assumes it. Paul just assumes that Jesus is on par with God. That's important because it, uh, it, it, it illustrates that Right from the get-go, the apostles and those writing the New Testament, they had this belief that this human being was actually somehow also God in the flesh. Again, we're used to that, but it's really pretty shocking and pretty amazing that that happened so quickly and so early. It wasn't a later development. In fact, look at the very uh, end of this, how it says, Christ Jesus, our Savior. Not only does that speak of who Jesus is, but the very previous sentence referred to uh, the commandment of God our Savior. And again, saying God our Savior and Christ Jesus our Savior puts Jesus on par with God and speaks once again to the deity of Christ. All right, so that's Paul's introduction and greeting here in this letter to his colleague in ministry, Titus. Now, before we leave it, let me just offer this simple little reflection. This letter is going to have a lot to say about faith, about knowledge of the truth, and especially about godliness. That's going to show up over and over again in this letter. And Paul forecasts and highlights that here in the introduction and greeting. And so it tells us we should be looking for that. And so as you read through this letter to Titus, Pay attention to what Paul says, particularly about godliness and how godliness is meant to be the outflow of our salvation. It's not the thing that causes our salvation. It's the thing that flows out of our salvation. And so now that we have come to faith, now that we have learned a knowledge of the truth, now we're to learn how to live a godly kind of life. And Paul will say all sorts of things and have all sorts of encouragement and all sorts of challenges to Titus and to the Cretans and to us 
about living a godly life. And so let's make sure as we read this letter together that we pay attention to the theme of godliness. Thanks for tuning in to this session on the Listener's Commentary. The Listener's Commentary is a listener-supported, crowdfunded Bible teaching ministry that is made possible by the generous support of people just like you. So if you give through the Study Hub or if you give through uh, the Donate button on my website, um, thanks a ton for your support. And you are making this ministry possible by your generosity. So uh, I'm incredibly grateful for you. And if you've been impacted by this ministry in some way um, and you want to join the team of supporters, uh, you can do so by going to listenerscommentary.com. There is a little give link up in the top. You can click that. That'll take you to a page where you can put in a dollar amount. Um, and you can click a little box that says, Make This Monthly. Uh, all those donations are received in partnership with World Family Mission, a registered nonprofit. Or you could give as well just through signing up for the Study Hub. All monthly donors get access to some of the bonus material on the Study Hub. Uh, that I'm constantly trying to add and create and put in there. And so um, more than anything else, your generosity is having an impact and bearing fruit all around the world. So thanks a ton for your support. May God bless you for it.